Um, the, the scripture this morning is the first of many narratives that you're familiar with in Advent and Christmas that speaks of the birth of Jesus, the coming and expectations of the birth of Jesus. I'm going to be reading to you from Luke's Gospel, the first chapter, beginning at the 24th verse. And um, I want to contextualize it a bit. This, is a, this begins with the story of a fellow named Zachariah and a woman named Elizabeth, okay? Uh, this is some months. This is sometime in March. Um, they were a childless couple. Thank you. Yes. Yes, stand there and hold those behind me. <laughs> Not yet. Wait, wait till after the sermon. It might be this, right? Um, listen for the word of God. After those days, Zechariah's wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she remained in seclusion. She said, this is what the Lord has done for me when he looked favorably upon me and took away my disgrace. I have even endured among many people. That was the fifth month. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But Mary was much perplexed by these words and pondered. What sort of greeting might this be? The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus, and he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him to the throne of his ancestors David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, as I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will have the power of the Most High overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And then Mary said, Here am I the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And the angel Gabriel departed from her. The word of God for the people of God. In the church that I previously served before coming to First United, First United Methodist Church, Green Memorial United Methodist Church, I never preached a sermon that was not under the watchful eye of not one, but two angels. The stained glass window was in the back of the church looking right at the preacher in this uh, gothic sanctuary. That could creep you out, right? <laughs> now, I put a feather in your bulletin today. 
Because in this season of Advent, I'm going to be talking and teaching a bit about this idea of angels, not really what they are, but what they do, in the hopes that you also will be mindful that you are not alone, okay? Whether it's a stained glass window trying to remind the preacher every week, or this feather that you might put in your pocket. And who knows the next time you'll reach in there and be reminded. So take it with you. Or these invitations, you can share your feathers. There'll be more feathers throughout Advent. Um, So that's what we're going to work on for the next four weeks. And I want to tell you a few stories. Um, The the Advent booklet that's been written by this congregation got some great stories in it. So make sure you pick one of those up to be encouraged. But I'd like to tell you a story that are several stories that I know about because uh, my wife Beth and I um, were big outdoorsmen. And, you know, 30 years and 70 pounds ago, I was a mountain climber, right? We're both graduates of the North Carolina Outward Bound School. We like that kind of stuff. And we like one of our favorite uh, reading, uh, we like to read novels and, and books about mountaineering. Um, just kind of an interesting genre. There's a bunch of it. You can read them if you want to. Some people find them boring and technical. I get it. Well, let me tell you a story. In 1933, there was a British expedition uh, of mountaineers that set out to climb Mount Everest. Uh, they had uh, ascended the mountain as a large team, mostly military, because that's kind of the way the British liked to climb back then. And um, and they, they, they assembled and began to ascend Everest, and blizzard conditions came upon them, and one by one, the climbers in this large expedition became exhausted and frostbit, and they dropped out of the line that they were all tied to, until several days into the summit, into the climb, they were near the summit, and only a few climbers remained, led by uh, Lieutenant Frank Smythe. Uh, Frank was a premier mountaineer, excellent physical condition, well experienced. He was an RAF world, uh, RAF military hero. And he had great experience leading. He was the guy who would kind of break the snow as, and take the front of the line, you know, so the others would not have to have such a hard time. And most of these mountaineers, you know, kept journals, and, and he was very fastidious about that through his entire career. Well, he records about this expedition how the climbing became more and more difficult. And only by determination and discipline did he and the other climbers continue to to push for the summit, even though the team was dropping out. And he recalled how on several occasions he considered himself dropping out because the conditions were deteriorating so quickly, he thought we should all go back to base camp. But this, this climber behind him just kept marching along. He could hear his footsteps, and he was encouraged by the tenacity of this guy. It was, the blizzard was so bad, didn't know who it was, but he was right behind him, and they, and they were pushing for the summit. And he became fixated on the, the knowledge that he was being pushed by the climber behind him. That he was not alone on that mountain, and by golly, they could make it to the summit together. 
At one point, at a, at a place near the summit, it's called the Hillary Step. It wasn't called that then because Hillary hadn't done it before. But anyway, it's, it's a sheltered place in the middle of a blizzard. And um, the British climbers had this stuff they called Kendall Mint Cake. It's still around, Dave. It's not the same. It's like a, a, a thick cake that's got a lot of energy, like an energy bar. It was, a, it was precursor to the energy bar. Kendall Mint Cake. And they would keep them in a zipper on their sides. They'd get at them without taking their mittens off, right? Because you don't want to take your mittens off on the top of Mount Everest. So he reached into his pied pocket to get a Kindle mint cake, and he broke the cake, and he turned around to hand it to the climber who'd been following him, and there was nobody there. And he records how absolutely certain he was of the presence of this other climber that was behind him the whole way on the mountain. And he had kept going under terrible conditions with the certainty that he was not alone. Someone was with him. That's a neat story. I like that story. About 16 years earlier, there's another story about a guy named Ernest Shackleton. Anybody read The Endurance? No, no, no. It's a, it's a story about a, a British polar explorer whose ship got trapped in the ice on the South Pole, and um, the entire crew was had to abandon the ship and lived on the ice for a year waiting to be rescued. Finally, they knew nobody was going to come find them, and Shackleton and two of the crew got in the last remaining boat, leaving the rest of the crew on the polar ice cap and sailed to another island where they got out and had to go to a place to get rescued, which happened to be on the other... They landed on the wrong side of the island. <clears throat> And on their way over the, over the terrible conditions, and they're emaciated. It's just a horrible, 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 right? And they're walking, the three of them, and each night they would say, wasn't that cool how that shepherd kept appearing? Or this man, they called it the fourth man. How, how he'd be behind them and in front of them and over on the... And they were so encouraged that they knew they weren't... They were getting close to civilization because of the, what, they, what they called the fourth man that had been encouraging them. They finally got to the settlement and... The rescue occurred, and there was no fourth man. The amazing thing about this story is, of all the tragedies of people who die in exploration and trying to do difficult things, not one of the crew of the Endurance died. They were all taken off the ice. Uh, a poem was later written called The Third Man. Uh, taking poetic license with what Shackleton called the fourth man, but it, four didn't rhyme with something that rhymed with three, so the poet... <laughs> doesn't really matter, right? Recently, uh, just last year, there's a, a book written called The Third Man Factor. It's written by John Geyer, who's also a mountaineer and a psychiatrist. And in it, he recalls story after story after story, mostly from people in, in difficult situations like polar explorers or mountaineers or climbers or sailors or, or people that find themselves out in, um, in, in harsh conditions. And he compiles these stories of what, what is now known as the third man factor. Uh, the most recent one is uh, 2001, Ron DeFrancesco. Ron he was in the Twin Towers when they were hit by an airplane, and he, had, he was a volunteer fire department in a, few, in a life before he became a financial uh, consultant. 
And he got his entire floor into the stairwell and down to the building, and they, they all got out of the building that day. He went back and forth, up and down, bringing people out of the building. And uh, at the bottom of the building, the, 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 poli- the firemen would, would close the doors because the air would go in the door and feed the fire up. You know, this, I don't know all that stuff about science fire. But anyway, and so they'd open the door and people come out, and, 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 and Ron would go back in. And more people come out, Ron would go, and Ron went back in, and Ron didn't come out one time. Nobody else came out. And Ron, uh, the firemen were about to close the door permanently when finally Ron came out by himself. And Ron says, I was overcome by smoke about two floors up. I fell down to the bottom of the stairwell. I was laying there. I was, I was ready to go. And someone came down the stairs, leaned over to me, whispered in my ear, Ron, get up. And there was nobody there. And now I don't know about you. I, I love these stories. You know, it makes you go, hmm. Every year on March 25th, the Roman Catholics, who, by the way, we had a Roman Catholic bishop in this church on Friday night. And say what you want about the Roman Catholics, you know, or any Christian tradition. They're all different. They all got their stuff, Right. Uh, the Roman Catholics on March 25th celebrate what they call the Feast of the Annunciation. Uh, March 25th is nine months before December 25th, which is Christmas. So the Annunciation is the celebration in that church of something that happened nine months before Christmas. You know what that is. I just read to you about it. Okay? Mary talked to an angel. And it was the beginning of a trial for her. Elizabeth had been in a trial her whole life. Talked about how hard it had been not having children in a culture where that was the only value that women had. I mean, just you can imagine what she'd been through. Both of them having this encounter with God and both of them being encouraged somehow to keep going. Now for Mary, my favorite part in this, my favorite verse in this passage is when Mary says, what in the world is this? She's beginning to think, oh my gosh, this is going to be hard. What sort of greeting is this? Hail, favored one, right? And then the news came. Methodists do not celebrate the Feast of the Annunciation. Most Protestants don't. You know why? Because in our tradition, the last 300 years of Christianity, we've really gotten in our heads a lot. We want to know the answers. We want our theology linear. And this is kind of bordering on that mystical, mysterious, you know, I can't understand what this is all about thing. But the Catholics, they still hold on to that stuff. I'm grateful. Because the biblical witness is... That there are mysterious things that go on in this world where God reaches across the chasm from eternity to our mortality, from our temporal nature into God's eternal nature. That there is this separation and that God from time to time reaches across it. And there's no denying or acknowledging uh, that angels or whatever you want to call them, spiritual presence from the realm of God has bridged that gap and connected with us. I think we should celebrate it. I think we should have a feast every time it happens. 
We should have a, a potluck dinner for everybody to tell a story of wow, how that happened to them this week. We should celebrate. During this Advent season and this Christmas season, I want to celebrate with this congregation. I want to encourage this congregation to be mindful of the power and the presence and the activity of God in what we do. I want you to know, well, no, I want you to believe, and I don't know what the difference between knowing something and believing something is, but I'll let you wrestle with that. That's your journey. I want you to know or believe that you are not alone in whatever you are into, your trials, your tragedies, your joys, and your triumphs, that you are not alone in them, that along your way and along your journey and along the journey of everybody else, whether they believe in God or not, that God is still bridging that gap in mysterious ways. That's what happened to Mary. That's really what, what we're talking about in this working up to Christmas is these visits from these angels. Gabriel, he even has a name. Okay? And this is what happened to Mary. Uh, and it was before this journey that she was about to undertake. And so I think the message for us is that God's presence in our lives is there not only to comfort and protect us in our trials and our difficulties and the things that are hard. But God is also there to encourage and empower us to try to do things that we cannot do on our own. Uh, Bishop Cho came to Green Memorial a couple years ago, and he, he preached a sermon. I ne I'll never forget it. He said, we, we had just had a charge conference, which is where the church kind of plans what we're going to do. We talk about our budget, and we've been doing that in this church, right? And he said, I hope there's something in your plan that you cannot achieve unless God helps you. That your reach should exceed your grasp. That somehow you would aspire to something that you are incapable of unless God helps you. That's kind of that's that's scary talk. That's what gets you in trouble. And yet that is exactly what I believe we have witnessed to in these stories of angels, in these stories of mountaineers, this third man factor, if that's what you want to call it. Whatever you call it, it is the promise of God that you are not alone. Number 1. But then what is it the angel says when you are facing a trial or a difficulty or a joy or aspiring to do something that you cannot do? Don't be afraid. And truly, I would say that is the defining character of these people we call Christians. We are not afraid, not even of death, because Christ our Lord came to show us that there is nothing in heaven or in earth that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And because of that, we are about doing difficult things. So First United Methodist Church, what are you about to do next year? What are the trials that we are gonna, going to face as a congregation? 
I mean, I, I could make a whole long list of things that I see in our church. I think our church, our congregation, our entire denomination will be facing some trials in the upcoming year. Okay, I think our town, the city of Charlottesville, is, is facing some trials and, the, and that there's some things that we should be engaged in as a congregation. I think that there are things nationwide or in the world that this congregation should be actively engaged in encountering the world, not because we're smarter than everybody else or have better answers than everybody else, but because we're not alone. That we believe that God is with us to empower and care for us. Um, I have a Christmas present for you. So these, these, wing, these winged pictures, you're encouraged to go upstairs and have your picture taken with wings, with other members of your congregation. And, uh, <laughs> and it's not to say, oh, angels are people who are, have wings. It's not. Angels are uh, heavenly beings. You are earthly beings. But angels are there to encourage us. I'm I'm handing I'm gonna hand these out. Actually, I'd love for somebody else to hand these out while I keep talking. This is my gift to you. Or actually, it's your gifts to yourselves. It's a list of names of members of this church who have been elected to lead and encourage and be with you next year as we are about the work of God as a congregate. You don't have to open it up today. Just I want you to take it home, put it on your refrigerator with magnets. So that anytime you feel you need to be encouraged or inspired, you don't. You, you may not have an angel show up with a kazoo or whatever, but you do have each other. So this is this is a this is a, a scroll full of names that just what was it Wednesday night? When was charge conference, Bill? Wednesday night. Wednesday night. These people have stepped forward and have been elected, and they will be encouraging you and leading you in the year to come so that when we as a congregation are about doing the work of God, we will not be alone and we will not be afraid. Thanks be to God. Amen. I know I had that effect on a lot of people. <laughs> That's probably what... What Mary felt like. Um, as, as we conclude our, our, our time of worship together, um, I'm serious about holding on to those people. These are your congregation. And hold on to that feather. Put it somewhere where you might discover it at a time when you need it. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for the mystery of angels. And we're grateful for your presence in our lives when we are hurting. And we are grateful for your presence in our lives when we are striving for things that are difficult. So bless us in our efforts, even as we gather at your table this morning, believing that you promised to be with us we pray as Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.